Welcome back. Welcome back to uh, the Rutgers Scoutcast, your Friday source for everything Rutgers Athletics. To my younger crowd out there, welcome back to school at Rutgers, at high school, anyone that's listening to this. After we spent more than an hour on the podcast last week, I got a lot of people saying, feed me more. So here we go. It's another Friday Rutgers Scoutcast. And now that there's real football going on, I'm really excited about where this show can go this year. Thanks again to Chris Carlin for joining us for our season preview and getting ready for Washington. I know Chris and many of the people out in Washington didn't have the experience that they had hoped for, and we'll discuss that in the body of the show, what went wrong in the blowout loss to the Huskies, who are now a top 10 team. And a lot of people are saying that, how can you move up so fast by just beating plain old Rutgers? Well, I'll tell you how. It's how good Washington looked. That is an excellent football team, and I think they deserve to be a top 10 team. I thought they deserved to be a top 10 team before they played Rutgers, but we'll discuss some more of that in the body of the show. My guest this week is Keith Sargent. He is the longest reigning member of the Rutgers football beat, currently the beat guy for NJ.com, New Jersey Advanced Media, the Star Ledger, whatever you want to call it these days. We all have identity crises in media. Sarge was on the beat a couple years before I started school, and he uh, took a year or two away to do some other stuff in the news department when he used to work for the Home News Tribune. Then he came back on the football beat, and unfortunately, he's someone that I see every day. Uh, We're going to be sitting down with Keith Sargent to talk about, obviously, Rutgers football. We're going to talk about what went wrong in the opener. Some of the bigger storylines, whether it's quarterback, whether it's Chris Ash's postgame demeanor, differences between now and Kyle Flood. But we're also going to talk about his podcast. Now, when I say his, it's his organizations because it's not just Keith Sargent. It's everyone that does, you know, everyone that contributes on NJ.com for those that follow their coverage. I know some do. I know others don't. They are taking a different approach to podcasting. They call it Rebuilding Rutgers, and it's a look at where Rutgers was, which I like to call rock bottom. They call it from the ashes. Uh, I think my pun is better because it involves Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Theirs just involves Chris Ash. But they're, they're not doing a weekly news, a weekly conversation, a timely thing like I'm doing. Their show is about how Rutgers is rebuilding itself after really a brutal couple of years. And obviously many of you choose to blame their coverage for some of that, and that's your right as well. So we're going to talk with Sarge in just a little bit, but before we hear from Keith, uh, here's a couple things that are on my mind that we won't be discussing in the body of the show. We're going to be talking plenty of Chris Laviano and the Rutgers quarterback situation during the show, and Unfortunately, the college football fan in me hates that this is part of the conversation, so I want to get it out of the way now. A lot of questions, a lot of people, everyone's asking. Chris Laviano himself got asked this week, you think you're going to get booed on Saturday? Yeah, I hate that that's a question, but that's how things go these days. And and frankly, I'd be a little surprised if Chris Laviano doesn't hear some boos on Saturday. He was booed last time he played in front of this crowd in a real game at Maryland, remember he got hurt, Hayden Reddick came in, and when Hayden Reddick came back out, Laviano heard the boos when he returned to the field, 
and that led to the whole social media meltdown um, in the final days of Kyle Flood that I'm sure Chris Laviano would like to take back, and I think he's handled himself better since then. I, I think that on Saturday you might hear some boos for him, especially if the students choose to show up on time for when they do that video package with all the starters. But here's the thing, those boos, if they happen, they're going to dissipate very quickly because Chris Laviano is going to lead this offense to a hot start against Howard. Laviano may not be the ideal fit for this offense when you're playing a team as talented as Washington, but when Rutgers is clearly the more talented team on the field, I expect Chris Laviano to have a very good day. I expect lots of cheers, and if the cannon is still a part of game day traditions, Chris Ash has hinted at a lot of changes coming. I expect that cannon to be exploding quite often. Another thought before we jump into the conversation with Keith Sargent, I want to talk a little bit about wide receiver recruiting. Amir Mitchell is the obvious storyline, and and I happily discussed that with Brian Doan in the body of the show. Brian and I have both known Amir since he was a freshman in high school, getting to know his brother, who ended up choosing Arkansas over Rutgers a few years ago. But there's a lot more going on now at receiver in terms of recruiting. Chris Ash himself discussed it when I asked him Monday about Amir Mitchell. He said, hey, look at our depth at receiver. Of course we're recruiting guys to come in. It's not good next year. Uh, John Simmons, should he choose to come back for a fifth year, which I, you know, I expect him to. He's a good football player, and he seems to like the new regime and where he fits in it. He's the returning experience guy, and that's it. You're losing four senior receivers. DeCoven Bailey is all of a sudden your veteran along with Jay Harris. So when you look at something that happened this week and you learned about this Tuesday morning, if you're a subscriber to Scarlet Report, obviously it's out in the free internets now, but Ahmed Ba, the Grand Street commit, joined the program this week. He started practicing As a wide receiver, he's not going to play this year, but it helps with depth. I think he could be the next Carlton Agadosi in terms of his role where you hope to build some consistency out of him, but if not, he's at least a big target that you can use in the red zone. We should have a lot more on commit Tim Barrow as uh, our staff member Garrett Stepien is going out to see Tim Barrow on Staten Island tonight. But right now it's looking like Barrow is going to play corner because Rutgers has four receiver commits right now highlighted by Bo Melton. Rutgers also has Amir Mitchell eligible next year, so I essentially look at that as a fifth wide receiver. And you know what? (laughs) I don't think that matters when you're going after a guy like Njoku. You want to reload and start over at receiver just like you do at quarterback to find the right guys that fit this offense. So that's a few things that are on my mind. Now let's talk to Keith Sargent. So Keith, welcome to the show. And before we get started, I know you're a guy that follows the NFL I know you're a big Dodgers fan, so let me tell you about FanEssentials.net. How would you like to get your favorite team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Well, check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to, and each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan, or you can be selfish and go ahead and get one for yourself. Prices start at just $34.99 at fanessentials.net. But here's the thing. Because you're a fan of the Rutgers ScoutCast, you can use my promo code SCARLET. You put that in at fanessentials.net at checkout, and you get 30% off your first month just like that. Visit fanessentials.net 
to get all the essentials you need. All right, well, we had some nice positive interaction last week with Chris Carlin as our guest. So continuing that positive theme, the man that predicted Rutgers to go 8-4 and four this season, uh, Keith Sargent, welcome to the show. Oh, I, I can't wait to do this. I, I, I've been waiting a long time for this. I guess uh, Rutgers will now be going 8-3 and three the rest of the year. What did you see in week one, Sarge, that maybe surprised you, maybe didn't surprise you? I don't know. I mean, I, I, let's be honest. I mean, I picked him to win, and that was based on more of a – Washington went when you know they were four and six at one point, and then they you know they ended the year with, with wins over three teams that they should have beat. No one really knew a whole lot of you know of what to expect. I understood. I voted them number thirteen in the country. I get that they were really good. Did I think Rutgers was going to win? Would, would I bet on it? No, but you know I thought they they would have had a you know play a little bit more competitively in that game. They did not. Obviously, I think right off the bat, I think just the speed. I mean that was the one thing that you you, you came away looking at it. Just how much more talent that Washington had, you know, in the skill skill player department, you know, it just, Rutgers really didn't get a whole lot of pressure on them, but, you know, just the speed, uh, you know, it was off the charts better, you know, from Washington's perspective. Uh, for you being out there actually watching it live and going through the media experience live instead of being on television or whatever, what did you take away from how Rutgers handled things? Like, we're not allowed in the locker room anymore, but you still see the guys after the loss and you're in the press conference rooms. Like, how do you think they handled the blowout from that capacity? Yeah, I mean, this might be too inside baseball, but just from a you know pure media perspective, it was great. We got, you know, Drew Merringer to a- answer questions. We got um, Jay Neiman, you know, after, after the game, and both of them were, were great. I, I guess it's not really inside baseball because I think a lot of fans do want to hear from the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. I look around the Big Ten, you know, a lot of, you know, Urban Meyer makes his, his coordinators available. So there's Jim Harbaugh. You know, it's more of a pro-level type type philosophy that, you know, it's not just a head coach. I mean, we're used to, you know, in the past where Greg Schiano or uh, Kyle Flood would want one voice out there. You know, I think just from a pure, you know, post-game, I thought it was, it was very re- refreshing to have that. Um, and I think the players, you know, look, I mean, I think Chris Labiano, you've covered this, you know, now for, for you know, the last couple months, you know, with, with dealing with Chris. He's been so much better. He has. He's been you know, even today. We got yeah, him, and yeah, he, he was. He's been so much better to deal with. I think he's been a lot more honest. Will he ever be, you know, that that quarterback who's like the face of the program and, and is outgoing, like we Mike Teal maybe uh, of the past? Probably not. That might be asking a bit too much. But you know, he's been a lot more you know media friendly, so to speak. Um, you know, and then you know Chris Muller. You know, he went. You know, <laughs> the idea that he was benched. And we could ask him about it, and like he was as honest as it, you know as he was about it. You saw the story that I wrote, you know, this morning, in which he pretty much said, "I don't blame him for benching me; that my performance was bad." So, you know, all that type of stuff has been great. I, the thing that I liked from reading your and Ryan's coverage out there, we we had uh, someone out there helping out, doing a bunch of video stuff. Just from watching everything, it seems like there wasn't the same level of just numbness like people were actually like answering questions it wasn't just uh oh we lost we got to flush it we, we got to go one and oh next week throwing people under the bus like it just seemed like uh it was a pretty level-headed post game and that's what chris ash has been all about for for nine months he's been you know brutally honest in some respects i think a couple of fans asked me whether or not um should he have been you know more critical of, of laviano I don't think, you know, I think at that position, I think he needs, you know, Laviano to have as much confidence going, going forward. And you've seen the competition. It's not that close. I mean, no. we, you know, from the practices that we've seen, I think the biggest 
uh, most telling part of that press conference was when we asked uh, who's the backup quarterback, and he, and he said it's still an or, Gio Resigno or Zach Allen. He, he didn't hasn't made up his mind. If he hasn't made up his mind on number two, then you realize that Chris Laviano is the best that he, that he has. He's not going to throw him under the bus, so to speak, or, or rip him, you know, even after a, you know an uneven performance like it was. Yeah, I, I've said a couple times now in different mediums that if you're charting the top ten problems that Rutgers has right now, Laviano... He might be on the list, but he's not in my top five. I, I thought he just did what he was asked, and it didn't work. Well, it's more of a, uh, an issue, bigger picture, because they don't have the quarterback. Clearly, they don't have the quarterback to run the system that they want. Right. You know, they. You know, I don't know if Tyler Oden will be the guy. We haven't seen enough of him. He's certainly not ready now. Maybe he will be. You know, I, I'm not discounting the fact that he might be ready by by you know midway through the season. I'm not. I haven't even. Chris uh, Chris Ash hasn't said that he's going to redshirt. I'm not going to discount that. But right now, clearly, they don't have the quarterback to run run the system. The cupboard has been was left bare, you know. And that's not just you know Laviano, but you know that's just you know the competition, you know, to, to compete with them. To you know, and we've talked about an open competition this entire off season. Well, Laviano was clearly the best that they had throughout the entire summer. I mean, the last thing I'll say on quarterbacks, Laviano won offer in high school. Gio Rossigno won offer in high school. Yep. Zach Allen is coming here as a guy that's played wide receiver. Mike Dare, one offer in high school. Yep. It's hard to find competition. And I'll say this, too, because Hayden Reddick, you like the kid, and but the whole LSU, um, he came from LSU, transferred from LSU, a little bit of a myth now that we've seen LSU, they can't get a quarterback. The reason yeah. why that they, they, they've struggled as much as they, uh, I shouldn't say struggle because they still go 9-3, you know, and three, ten, 10 wins or whatever, but losing to Wisconsin in the opener when they're number five in the country boils down to quarterback play. I mean, you know, I, I read a lot of the national stories and everyone's saying that. Well, Hayden Reddick, you know, left an LSU program. You know, Les Miles is no dummy. You know, he was not going to let, you know, a kid who, who could potentially start down the road. So I think that whole LSU myth might be time to put that to rest. All right, before we transition into talking about your podcast, which is part of this, give me one thing to watch against Howard that you think either is going to surprise people, something that you're excited to see, something that we did not see in week one. Well, you remember two years ago, um, Howard came out and, you know, Rutgers controlled the entire game, but it was, you look at this final scoreboard, it wasn't like the, the total domination that we're used to Rutgers playing against MEAC teams. I think that's going to be one thing that, you know, can Rutgers really dominate from, from start to finish, maybe put, put up a shutout, Get, give the defense some confidence. Because we saw way back when, when if they post a shutout, that all of a sudden gets some confidence building. This is a defense that really needs some confidence coming off of, you know, a year ago, you know, all the stories that we've been constantly saying, you know, the worst, you know, pass defense in, in, in school history. They need some confidence. So can they dominate? You got a lot of, you know, turnovers and sacks and, and just put up a zero. Can they do that? And then offensively, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, as everyone else, how will the fans react to, to Chris Laviano? The last impression was Maryland where they, where he, you know, got hurt. You know, had a great game, threw for like 330 that game, got hurt. Went to the sideline, came back, and then the fans booed him. You know, we no need to go, you know, all back into in depth. But this is the first time that he's back, yeah. back here. And the one thing is, almost all the stories throughout the off season have been positive. I talked to Kirk Herb Street last week. He said, "Give him a clean slate." And I think the fans, for the most part, have. But the the Washington game was. You know, wasn't pretty. Uh, he's, you know, he's getting booed on Saturday. I don't think he's going to get booed. I, I, I do. So we'll we'll have to make well, a side yeah, bet. Yeah, we'll have to bet, make a side bet because I think what will happen is he'll get. He won't get the Darius Hamilton level type cheer, but I think he'll get. You know, it'll be polite. I don't think he'll get booed. But then I think if they go three and out, 
or if he throws a pick, you know, early, you know, in, in, in that first series, I think it, all bets are off. I think he could get booed. So this is a major rebuild at Rutgers, and we've heard it discussed. And if you really want to get the details of this rebuild, there's a new podcast on the internet. <laughs> Tell me about it, Sarge. Yes, uh, rebuilding. Um, uh, Rutgers, you know, from the ashes. I mean, it you know, kind of speaks for itself. The it's title, fun, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we, the, the, the idea of the podcast is not like the traditional, like you and I are talking, you know, which I love. I love uh, these types of. It might be my preference, but you know, from from what we're doing, it's more of a storytelling type format. You heard the first one. Steve Politi went back and talked about the relationship with Pat Hobbs and, and Chris Ash, and a lot of stories that I never even heard of. I mean, I've been covering this for. And I know the two men pretty well. I didn't, there were a couple of stories I never even had heard of. So, you know, we're, going forward, we're going to do stuff on recruiting, not to step on your ter- <laughs> toes too much, but we're going to do recruiting. We're going to do, you know, strength and conditioning, the evolution of the offense going from pro style to, to, to the spread. Uh, we're going to do something on, like, fundraising. You know, so most of them are going to be just a, a storytelling. I mean, if you're more of a – you're going to come away listening, I hope, learning more about the program, stuff that you hadn't even heard, than – just two guys rambling, and which I love. Again, I love these types of podcasts, but I think it's a different type of po- podcast. This is one that you can listen to in two years, and it'll tell the same story. Yep. Now, we'll see if it's a success or a failure <laughs> as, as to, in terms of rebuilding by then. But for, for you specifically, what did you touch on in this series? Like, when people check out the Keith Sargent episode, what can they expect? Yeah, I'm doing a, it's a great question. I, my, mine's later in November, so I'm still working on it. Um, but, you know, just as, as a sort of a preview, you know, I'm doing fundraising. I'm talking to a lot of boosters. So, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of, you know. We have quite a few that listen. So. Yeah, without question. They're so going to start they, harassing they, you on Twitter you know, now. They, they might actually get my, my, my uh, you know, I might actually call them at some point. But, you know, it, mine's going to be more of going back to just the whole challenges. I mean, I've t- I'm talking to, like, fundraising people who were dealt with going back to Gruninger, you know, those years. I mean, you have to remember that Rutgers <laughs> – for a long, long time, was a private institution. Then they were, a, and we're going way back, back to like the 50s. But for a long time, they were a private institution. Then they became a state program, depending on on, on funds. They were a small time uh, program. So for a long time, it was yeah. You know, they had a lot of challenges to kind of tap into it. I think they're going more into the, the the younger generation of boosters. I think they're trying to bring in a lot more revenue, whether it's uh, mandatory seat licenses or seat gifts or whatever you want to call them. So I think all that stuff is incorporated. I think it'll be fun. And uh, your uh, cohort, Ryan Dunleavy's already played along, but I asked the same three Rutgers questions to all my guests at the end of the show. So whether you're prepared or not, I'd like to know who your favorite Rutgers athlete is of all time. I have a guess, but I'd like to hear your answer. Um, I'm going to go with Maluski, David Maluski. Um, a lot of people don't know, but... Um, yeah, I don't even know if Dave knows, but I helped recruit him because we had, when I was working at the Home News Tribune, we had a colleague by the name of Greg Tafaro, oh, yeah. who covered, uh, who covers the, to this day Middlesex County. He football. does a great job, by the way. Phenomenal, one of the best in the state, one of the best reporters anywhere. Um, but he told me it was like early October. This kid, David Maluski, no one knows about him. Like this, un, uh, you know, under the radar, great football player, you know. Wasn't a camp guy. Wasn't the type of guy who you know, you know, doesn't not a big recruit. But he told me that UConn was 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 planning on coming out. So I told you know it was after one of those you know media sessions with, with, with Greg, and I pulled him aside. I said, "Listen, you know anything about David Maluski?" 
And he, and he said, you know, no, I haven't heard of him. And I told him, you know, it, it, the story, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying here. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll tell Joe Susan and, and, you know, to check him out. So long story long, they didn't know if he was going to be a tight end, defensive end, linebacker. I think he played linebacker in high school. But, but I mean, Dave, I mean, was fa- a phenomenal story, great quote. You know, just, you know, future AD. I mean, we're yeah, going to be dealing with say, him in 20 like, years. It's good for you to put him over now because you're going to be going to him for info when he's the AD here. <laughs> 20 years from now, we're, we're, we're all going to be dealing with him. Uh, second question, what's your favorite memory in terms of when you think about Rutgers? What's your favorite thing that you remember? I'm going to go with the, the easy one. I, I'm going to go with 2006. And, I, again, I'm just the, 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 the whole season was, was, was great. It was one of my first years on the full-time beat. I cover Rutgers for, you know, early on in the Shiano years, but it was the first time I was really fully on the beat. So we watched the evolution of it, of training camp, just myself, Tom Lucci, might have been one or two other people, but it wasn't a whole, like, media pack like we have now. Um, so, and then by, you know, late October, we had the New York newspapers coming out. We had TV. You know, we, we had a lot of fun moments that way. Going back to the Louisville game, which, you know, Mike and a Mad Dog being here and, you know, just that whole atmosphere leading into it. The one story that, that, that I'd love to share is I remember the game had just ended. You know, we're all on deadline. I had to get my story up as quickly as possible. And a colleague, you know, Tom Lucci sitting right next to me is like, Sarge, look up. I'm like, I can't, I got to get the story in. He's like, Sarge, just look up. And I did, but, it, it, you know, and you just saw, like, the whole field, like, just swarmed. And for someone who, Tom had covered Rutgers for a lot longer than I had, but I had, you know, was familiar with it for the last decade, I guess. And, you know, it, it, it did. I mean, you're not, we're not root for it, but, you know, we you know, look at those moments, like, holy cow, it's going to be something I'm going to remember the rest of my life. So, you know, and the, the, the takeaway that I got from it was, like Tom said, we're all on deadline. Take a moment to... to, to you know, breathe it in and, 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 and realize the moment. And uh, most importantly, the last question, if you're allowed to eat one more meal at Rutgers uh, or in the Rutgers general area, where would you go and what would you order? Um, I got to go with um, my man, uh, my, my, you know, Doug and, and, and the boys over at, at the Olive Branch. Um, I don't know what meal. I mean, I, I go with a, you know, a slice of pizza, I guess. I mean, it's so cheap over there. Um, but, yeah, I got to go with the Olive Branch. I, you know, I love just the atmosphere there. I love the location, obviously. You come out of the barn, and, you know, you know may, maybe if you know, my, my, my editor doesn't have to hear it, hopefully my editor doesn't have to hear this, but every once in a while you come out of the barn from a wrestling match or whatever, and you just go over there and, uh, you know, grab a slice of pizza and, you know, whatever is on tap. Yeah, whatever liquid items that they serve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sarge. I appreciate it. Joining me now via satellite to bring things back to a recruiting level, Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan. Brian, I know you're excited for your first Rutgers football game this year. Uh, I'm excited to tailgate. Does that count? But uh, I'm sure there'll be a little football going on in the parking lot. And by football, I mean the uh, real football. I'm happy to say Landon Donovan will be back with the Galaxy, which I know you know all about, Sam. Yeah, so speaking of real football, um, let's jump into our recruiting spotlight this week, which falls upon Rutgers commit out of Pennsylvania, defensive lineman Joan Duggan. You recently checked out his film, and there are massive improvements there. Yeah, I was absolutely amazed. Uh, when they took the commitment, I knew they took it because he had performed well in a couple camps, and you, know, you and I had spoken about that and, and I've written about that. But his junior tape was very underwhelming. And watching his senior tape early on, boy, a lot more explosive, quicker, change of direction was a lot better. He pursued a lot better. 
he looked quick. And, you know, it's funny, I was talking to a coach that uh, I know pretty well, and I said, you know, I, I watch this kid's tape, and I think the kid could play offensive line. And then the coach checked out to say, like, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that great versatility. And to me, that was important. You know, you like him as a D tackle, but he's a shade under 6'2", adds another half inch or so. If he has the ability to pick up the offensive line, he could be a center. He, he, he's come a long way. Yeah, that was one of those ones where you're going through camp trying to find somebody because Rutgers isn't doing too well with its top defensive line targets at the time. So that was really a position where they were pulling kids aside, pulling kids out of camp every single time to get a look at them on the defensive line. And he was a guy that came twice and really earned it in camp. It was not a guy that was on the radar beforehand, had a bunch of offers. He had to come in and earn it in camp. But it's good to see that what he showed in shorts and a T-shirt is starting to carry over to shoulder pads. Yeah, I think you hit it on the nose when you said that he came twice. So, and that's big because when a kid comes to camp once, you don't know if you're seeing the best of him or the worst of him. And so it gives you a frame of reference. And I think Rutgers was smart that they waited till the second time before they offered him. And now he had to do some work in the classroom, and, and he's doing that and getting that done. Um, but for me, the defensive linemen in the region are not great. I can sit here right now and make an argument that from a talent perspective, he's more explosive than some of the D tackles in New Jersey who, you know, people think are cornerstone pieces to recruiting classes. Um, he's got more looseness than some of the kids in Jersey. I just think that he's a, he, he has a chance to, to really turn into a good prospect. And I'm excited to go see him this season. And I'm just going to assume that the only reason that you have him rated where he is is because he's committed to Rutgers. If he were going to Penn State, he'd be a five-star, right? Look, if he, if he were to get those offers from, from the top 20 schools, I would certainly move him up to a four-star without even looking at his tapes. But since he's committed to Rutgers, yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, two-star, maybe a one-star even. I mean, yeah, exactly. But the thing is, you know, you go off what you see in your junior season, and people know I'm pretty conservative about I'm not going to just rank a kid off of shorts and a T-shirt. Um, I want to see more out of them. And what's the difference if he's a two-star now and I rank him as a three-star in October or a three-star in December? What's the difference? There is none. And so for me, um, just doing your due diligence, and, and I don't usually conservative with that stuff. So I'm excited to see him. I mean, who knows? Maybe he just played the best game of his life. Right. And with that, we're going to jump into – Part two of the news, Brian Doan joins us. Brian, we've been talking quarterback a lot on the Scarlet Report Premium Forums, on social media with each other to colleagues. What is your take on quarterback right now? We've discussed Chris, Chris Laviano to death, but with Howard, you'd think that this is where Giovanni Rossigno makes his debut. Yeah, I'm, this is the best way I can put it. When you got two, you got none. and in watching the Washington game and really getting a chance to see what the receivers can do, what the quarterback can do, I look at it this way. You either have to have a quarterback that can run or you have to have receivers who can get open off of jams and are quick within five yards and can get separation and a quarterback who can deliver the ball accurately. Those are your two options. So, 
when everybody says, well, you need a running quarterback. No, you don't. And that's why Anthony Russo was a guy that Rutgers wanted because strong arm, quick read, throw the ball on time, if receiver can get separation. So it works. I, I don't know how Chris Laviano works in this offense right now. Now, against Howard, you would hope the receivers are open. Now, keep in mind, when they played Howard a few years ago, I think it was 38-25 or whatever it was, um, you would hope the receivers can get open and get some separation. You would hope that Laviano can run the ball and, and you know, pull it away sometimes and do some things. But I, I'm curious to see if he can fit into this offense and if he does run the ball, I don't know if he knows how to protect himself from getting hit, and I wonder what his longevity is with that. I find it funny that pretty much every time Drew Merringer does an interview now, he has to remind people that the quarterback – people look at this offense and automatically assume that it's a quarterback running all over the place making plays. That's not what this offense is about. It's about doing things quickly with tempo – it helps if your quarterback can run, and when the defense doesn't respect you as a runner, we saw that against Washington, it creates problems. But you could be slower than I am uh, in terms of your footwork and still successfully run this offense. But you need guys to get open, you need protection, and Chris Laviano didn't really have either of those. Yeah, I mean, it's just, how do you put it? I mean, they're just not, it's not there on offense. Um and it's really compounded when you look at the skill set that they're using. I mean, you, you can't hide it. Uh, what else can you say about it? So, so why Rosinia? Why, why do people talk about him? They talk about him because he's a guy that can run the ball. He is quick through the line of scrimmage. And so you give that element. So at least you then have to defend him. What you're doing is, when you have a running quarterback, you're basically running the wildcat with a better pass option. That's basically what you're doing. So you have the extra blocker, which is why you go to the wildcat for the extra blocker. And so, you know, and, and an athletic guy with the ball. That's why the senior makes the most sense to them because he's the furthest along in it. And, and everybody talked about Zach Allen, Zach Allen. And, his work ethic brought competition to the quarterback room, but there's a reason he didn't play quarterback for two years at TCU. And it would have been an incredible indictment of the quarterbacks on the roster for him to come in and win a job and be high up on the list. So I don't view it as a disappointment. I think it served its purpose. Guys are competing in the meeting rooms and everything. And so that's great. But at the end of the day, um, you know, Sam, I don't know how many times I can say it. It's a rebuild. And a rebuild means you don't have a lot of talent. And you really see that when you play a good team like Washington. And, you know, I don't think you'll see it with Howard. I would expect Rutgers to wear him down and kind of grind through it all. But it's a, it's a process. There, There is no magic elixir to get this thing right. And the the elixir is not playing Tylen Oden in game two. Let me just say that right now. I've seen him in practice a lot. The coaches have seen him in ten times as many practices as I have, and he's not ready yet. You put him in there now, and there's going to be a problem. Maybe in five or six weeks, with the amount of reps they've devoted to him in practices, maybe he can come in and play as a true freshman and bring a better skill set for this offense. 
But if you put him in against Howard or you put him in against New Mexico or even Iowa, I don't think that's going to go very well. For me, he's just not ready. And if you are putting him in that early, you know, what does that say? I mean, Laviano's worked hard. He, the players like him a lot. They view him as a leader. Give him some time. See if he can, you know, the other thing is the tempo of the offense is something they all have to get used to. It just takes time. And like I said, I mean, there's people out there saying, you know, bowl games, seven, five, eight, and four, whatever. This is, look, if this team was built to go eight and four and it had all that talent, then the old coaching staff would still be there because at the end of the day, while everything was an embarrassment off the field, if you win, they're not firing you. All right, jumping into our final part of the news here, uh, Amir Mitchell, he is at Rutgers. He is enrolled in classes, and he's ready to go. Uh, I haven't seen him practice yet, but he is out there learning everything. A guy that Rutgers has been trying to get for about four years and three different coaching staffs. So I know that there's a lot of people happy to have him on campus. What's your take, Brian? I think perception-wise, it helps out a lot. It, it, it you know, Michigan had two high-profile kids from South Jersey wind up at, at Michigan in the class between Brad Hawkins and, and now Amir Mitchell. I think from that aspect, it helps. Amir is connected with some kids throughout the state. Uh, I think when you look at the receivers on the roster, and, and I've mentioned that you know I want to see Amir kind of get a little looser and hopefully with some flexibility work. Um, he'll get rid of some of that muscle mass that really, you know, I, I thought curtailed his development a little bit at the end of his high school career. But he's still a really good player. I mean, he still can do some things. He's got a lot of talent. I remember watching him. I thought he was more talented than his brother, Duop, who wound up going to Arkansas. Um, just a, It makes sense because they need better players. And while Amir Mitchell may not be Kenny Britt or Leonte Carew, he's certainly better than some of the receivers they have in the program. And if you look at what's on this roster and you project to 2017, he's one of the top four guys at receiver. So it makes he, sense. He, he, he's, he's one of the only four guys at receiver. <laughs> well, I mean, which is the but problem. you're looking at – yeah, and but you're also looking at, you know, who they're going to bring in the recruiting class and all that other stuff. And, you know, you get rid of Dante Owens, which, whatever. I mean, you know, you had as much chance of playing as he did moving forward. So, from, from well, he did the, play randomly randomly in game nine last season for no reason. Yeah, I mean, especially he did a great job in that, you know, punt coverage and all that stuff. Great way to burn a red shirt. Um, but anyway, and you brought that up on the board that we can get his red shirt back and transfer somewhere else, but I would think he'll transfer down a level so he won't have to sit right. out. Um, but, you know, getting back to Amir, they need receivers. They need talent. They need talent everywhere. And so it makes sense from that standpoint. And he could still, you know, he could be a good player. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. I'm just saying that, you know, it may take him a little bit of time. He's got some work to do. Uh, I've talked, and, and you're going to hear this listeners coming up in a few minutes with his high school coach, Tim Watson, at, at uh, Cedar Creek. And he said that, look, Amir made mistakes. He took some steps back. Michigan wasn't working. And, I mean, obviously that with a suspension, that that's the best evidence. But what happens at Rutgers now 
is he's an hour from home. He has more people that can hold him accountable. And I think that the attitude and the behavior that Chris Ash has installed in his players, you're going to see next year's captains, this year's captains really keep an eye on this kid and say, hey, what are you doing? Make sure you're doing your part because we need you. And I would think that Bo Melton, who's a great kid, will be another good influence on him next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, Amir Mitchell isn't the first kid that went away to college and it didn't work out. Um, The question is, does the support staff that Chris Ash put in place help? I mean, you know, is that, does that give Amir the guidance he needs and is it strong enough? And one thing I've learned about Chris Ash is he does not make rash decisions. He does not make decisions out of fear or out of what public outcry will be. He makes decisions on what he thinks will turn out to be successful for his program. He thinks they have everything in place to handle it. Okay, good. I mean, you know, take some chances. That's great. You, you, you've earned the right to take some chances. Okay, well, thanks, Brian, for joining us again. Keeping on the topic now of Amir Mitchell and his arrival at Rutgers, we're going to end the show a little bit differently than normal this week. So first, let me get my plugs in. That is an important part of this business. Make sure that you follow me. Contact me at Sam Hellman Scout with questions or comments for future episodes. You guys have been slacking on that, so I'd love to hear from you a little bit more. Check out ScarletReport.com. I know many of you are already members, but if you haven't checked us out yet, we're there every day. We're grinding. I like to think that we're there. We work the hardest and that you're going to get a lot by giving us a chance and checking us out. Now, with that said, we're going to end the show a little bit differently now. I uh, Quick story. It was looking like Amir Mitchell was coming to Rutgers by maybe Wednesday or Thursday of last week. And on Thursday, his old high school, Cedar Creek, scrimmaged in, in Cherry Hill about you know an hour away from where I live. So I thought, well... Wouldn't it be interesting if Amir showed up? Well, he didn't, but what I did do was I had a really good conversation with Tim Watson, the head coach there. He's a former defensive lineman uh, at Maryland. He's been around for a while building that Cedar Creek program. So what you're hearing now, keep in mind that this is about 24 hours before Amir announced for Rutgers, but you can hear from the way the two of us are talking that we both kind of know it's a done deal. So here, take a listen to Coach Tim Watson talk about Amir Mitchell and also talk about what Rutgers is getting in 2017 commits, Bo Melton, the wide receiver, and Owen Bowles, an offensive lineman. Bowles plays nose tackle, and he's starting to learn center for Cedar Creek. Rutgers likes him as a center, and we talk about him in both roles with Coach Watson. I guess just the two Rutgers guys, I mean, I'll start with Bo. Yeah. How, how does he fit what you think they're going to do this season? He's a huge he's a huge piece of our offense. I mean, he's such a uh, – uh, you, you mean in terms of – I mean, how does he fit your offense? And yeah. obviously your offense is pretty similar to what they're going to be running, yeah, he's a guy that we can put in space. You can do a lot with him. I know that's what they talk about doing. Um, but we really use him all over. And the thing is, you know, in the past couple of years we've had guys – you know, we've had Amir that teams have to bracket – 
if you know we got some weapons that if teams try to do that to him, um, they either have to stop him or then it opens up some other things. So he's a huge piece of our offense, um, but he's just a very dynamic player. You can move him all around, and he's he's pretty uh, well adjusted at all the different positions. Running back, he'll even play some wildcat uh, quarterback for us. So uh, he's he's an explosive, dynamic player um, that can that can. He's a he's a game changer type of guy. Who can make plays anytime. You know. It seems like attitude-wise, he's exactly what you want as a coach. He's, yeah, he's awesome. He is. He, he really is. And it's, it's not easy to say that. Um, you know, uh, over the years, we've had some guys with the crew, and we've had some very good kids. He's a kid that, for as awesome as his film is, his attitude, his character, what he brings to the locker room, like through and through, like who he is, um, is, is better than what he puts on film. And that's, you know, I think that's a great compliment to a kid, but it's the truth with him. He's, just, he's a special kid when it comes to that. How about Owen? I mean, how much learning does he still have to do as an offensive lineman? But, you know, where's his potential? His potential, I think, is off the charts. He, he's been huge this summer and jumping in and trying to learn as much as he could. You know, he camped in all the camps at offensive line. Uh, he knows he's, he's a pretty good defensive lineman, too. But he's, he's all in already and trying to make sure that he's ready to go and, and can contribute and get in there and compete and at least put his best foot forward. But, yeah, he's, I think his ceiling is very high on the offensive line, especially he's a very smart kid. Um, if it works out of center, I think that'd be. I can see that because he's he's very intelligent. Could be garbage. He's a guy that will understand offenses and and uh, and, and just continue to learn. Were you using multiple spots in the season? I saw him playing two spots today. Yeah, a little bit. I think that's the plan um, right now. I think I think as we get going, we want to get him comfortable at center, and then it's basically going to be you know kind of where we need him. Last year he was primarily tackle, played a little bit of guard, but I think this year we're trying to use him. Uh, we're going to use him more at tackle and center. Uh, not trying to put you on the spot, but yeah. can you say anything about Amir? Uh, uh, you know, I, I think things are going to clear up, I, I think, pretty soon. Right. Um, but but I, I, I'll tell you what, what I can say is I've told him from the beginning uh, when I knew that he was going to transfer that I thought Rutgers would be the best fit for him. Um, Rutgers, I know I know Temple does a great job with, with their guys, with kids um, with a similar background to right. Amir. Uh, so I thought that could be a good landing spot. And, and really, some of that is geographically, too. I think, um, you know, uh, when you go far away and you go to a program where, the, where there's, where there's going to be a lot of hoopla, there's going to be a lot of distractions. And I think the further away you, the further away you are, uh, the more likely you kind of get uprooted from what your foundation is. And I think that may have happened a little bit. I think um, being a little bit closer to home, people will be able to uh, stay in touch with them and, and make sure that he's doing the right thing. It'll be easier for coaches to get in touch with us. And, you know, we're only, you know, an hour or so away uh, if he did end up at Rutgers. But, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's what I would tell him to do. I've had a chance to get to know. I've known Ash for years since he recruited Amir's older Damon, brother. yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and, and so I know what he's about, and I, and I know the kind of relationships that, uh, that he builds with the players and, and that they respect him. So I think that could be a good spot for him. And so. totally hypothetical question, but Amir and Bo both playing receiver at Rutgers, what would that be like yeah, for you? That would be, you know, it would be a great source of pride, uh, especially, you know, I think they'd be a part of something special that, that, that I think Coach Ash is going to get going up at Rutgers. And I really think for them, I think, once that, if something like that happened, once it really got settled in, like, I mean, they, you know, talking to those guys, having, you'd be looking at a couple of years ago, I think that could be a, a very, they complement each other well. They're completely different style of players. Um, but I think that would be a lot of talent on the field, um, you know, for an offense, um, you know, any offense. Um, so I, I think that's a um, best case scenario. That's something that if, if that ended up playing out, could be something to get Rutgers fans excited and South Jersey fans to see a couple of their guys. Um, not only playing together, but, but making some plays too.